0: You've already got the secondary economy. Now you're basically just going to take back that ownership and also elevate the customer experience. I was at the crossroads. I was like, do I continue to do what I do and hoping that someone else will fix the problem or can I be part of the solution? For me to have the privilege to be able to groom myself well, have access to incredible clothes for me to be able to express myself every day differently was so important to me growing up because I'm constantly being told that I'm not good enough. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Here's your host, Bushy.
1: Welcome to another episode of Ad to Cart. I'm Bushy and I'm joining you from the land of the terrible people, otherwise known as Brisbane, Australia. On Ad to Cart, we welcome everyone to share and listen to e-commerce stories. The more diverse, the better. I want to especially welcome the traditional owners and the original storytellers of the land that we are on, our Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander listeners, to join us in our e-commerce conversations and our community. For my guest today, fashion was a lifeline while growing up. It's no surprise then that she turned it into a career later, becoming a stylist. And that would have been the end of the story, were it not for a bottle of wine and an inspiring documentary which had a big impact. Shania Supersiratad is the founder of RENTA, R-N-T-R. And RENTA is a full-service rental, resale and repair plugin. in which gives brands the opportunity to step into and profit from the circular economy while owning the re-commerce experience for their brand. In our chat, Shania shares her incredible startup journey, which started in Narnia. She shares the details of the epic circularity case study test she performed. How many times do you think a single Oraton dress can be sold? And she tells us about the haircut that led to a very special CEO appointment. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus, here's our conversation with Shania Supersiratad, founder of Renta. Shania, welcome to Add to Cart.
0: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Oh, I'm excited. We've had a couple of goes at this, but we won't tell anyone because you're a tech founder. So we won't tell anyone about the issues that you had about getting your microphone right.
0: What issue i don't <laughs> I, what issue? I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> well, you aren't a tech founder in the audio industry, you're a tech founder in e-commerce and the sustainable retail space. To kick us off, can you share what renter is and how renter works for a customer?
0: Yes, of course. So Renter is a re-commerce plug-in platform. It's both tech and logistic platform that enabling any premium fashion brands or retailers to be able to offer rental, resale, and repair directly on their own website. And while brands provide that end-to-end customer experience, the logistic behind the scene of rental, resale, and repair are handled by Renter team through networks of our partners.
1: Got gotcha. you. Who have you got on board at the moment?
0: Quite a lot. Our <laughs> pipeline is very exciting. Some of them we probably can't say yet. Come on. But <laughs> a couple of them I'm super excited about and I'd love to talk about the case study that we've like we've launched with them. We can talk about how successful they are doing and all of that. One of our biggest brand, I say Oraton. We mm-hmm. kicked it off with them three months ago. And it's just almost like, for me, it was kind of like this brand has been around for 85 years. It's Australian top premium true brands. They're moving into a modern way of doing things.
1: Yeah, they've had that reinvention, haven't they?
0: Yeah. And it's just not afraid to be part of the forefront of the innovation and just Kind of dive in, and let's start, and really passionate, truly, actually passionate about sustainability and be part of the circularity. So I'm super excited to be able to like enabling them to move into that area.
1: This is your third startup. What were the two that came before?
0: I mean it's a third iteration of the first one, so my background is in the fashion industry. I used to be a stylist and then um 2015 i came home one night on friday with a bottle of wine of course <laughs> and um after like taking people shopping and i was like you know what i'm going to watch a documentary the fashion documentary because i'm fancy and uh, <laughs> I
1: think, feeling smart at the time
0: yeah i'm like oh you know i'm feeling like i'm part of the industry so uh, this documentary called true cost came out have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Yeah, but you heard about I've it. I've heard yeah? of it. Yeah. So it came out and I know nothing about it. If you think about it, watching the name, you probably could know what it was about, but I had no idea. So <laughs> literally sat down. So I'm you were ready
1: gonna... for a rom com documentary?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> More clothes. <laughs> Loving my life. <laughs> Two hours in, I was in tears and. I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? It's literally to the point where I'm like, you are making women on this side of the world feel really good about themselves while exploiting women on the other side of the world who often don't have a say. Mm-hmm. My job was just to get people to buy more and buy more, right? Because I was a personal stylist. But the reason was to make someone feel really good about themselves, build up that confidence. There was a lot of positive things from that. So for me, I was at the crossroads. I was like, do I continue to do what I do? And hoping that someone else will fix the problem? Or can I be part of the solution? And then I it just didn't sit well with me that I call my clothing, usually I call it the second my second skin. Mm. You know, it's like a second skin. I can take it off, I can just be whoever I need to be. And I just don't feel comfortable in that anymore because it's actually, like, that was shocking, right? Because I had no idea Mm. that that was happening behind the scene. And how can someone who works in the industry day in, day out, just had no idea? So I started my first startup a year after that because my whole thing was about, I still want people to have access I want people to be able to experiment. I'm not about buying less. I'm not about being less and less. I'm like, more is more.
1: (laughs) You you still want people to experience fashion.
0: Yeah, because it's fun. And Mm. then I was like, how do I create something that allow that? But can I supply it in a better way? So the first startup that I launched was called um, Tumnus. Like Mr. Tumnus oh. from Narnia. Do you know? Yeah.
1: No, I read Narnia when I was a kid, but I don't remember it at all except for the yeah. weird wardrobe.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. The whole thing was about to get into that magical world of Narnia. you got to go through this magical wardrobe. And the first person that you met was that fawn called Mr. Tumnus. So oh, I, no. I just thought that like, he's like an ambassador to that world. Tumnus was meant to be an app, like a Tinder app, where it matches you with Style Sister right. in your local area. And then you can borrow each other clothes for three to five weeks.
1: Okay. That's a yeah. cool idea. It
0: was pretty cool. Yeah. So then I, naively, this is like straight from being a stylist, move into creating an app, know nothing about text. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but you got a bottle of wine. Everyone can create an app over a bottle of wine. It's
0: fine. Oh, my God, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my God. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, this is an amazing idea. I think I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, I went into um, a digital agency. I wanted to create this app, and they were like, love the idea. I think this is going to be awesome. It's going to be $300,000. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, I'll be back. (laughs) Let me go sell my liver or something. Wouldn't even get that much. I drink a lot. (laughs) So I was like, oh, okay, this thing's expensive. And then I started talking to one of my friends slash mentor. And he was like, look, the best thing for you to do is validate your idea first to see whether if there's a demand, would people actually use it? I'm like, good idea. So basically, try and use all the software that already exists. The first version of it was actually Facebook group.
1: Uh, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. And you kind of grow it into like 80 people and it was just like, it was really quite clunky. And I was just like, oh, the experience is not how I want it to be, Right. It's behavior change, so you have to make it really easy. So I didn't know what else to do. So I basically just learned and I just Hmm. built MVP myself and just hacked all the software available to make it work for what I needed to be. And we rolled it out in 2017. And within probably about three months, we had 500 active users. It was kind of happening. And then I started to see behavior slightly imbalanced of people that letting out clothes and people that borrowing, they're just not equal. Right. So it's just like people that have lots of good clothes and happy to for people to come and borrow, they don't borrow as much. So then it's become a hustle for them to actually constantly having to ship it or someone has to come to their house to like pick it up and all of these things. So they started to go, hey, can I send this to you? And you just manage it for me. Mm. And I was like, okay, right, cool. And then that started to happen more and more and more. Then I was like, okay, I need to monetize this. And then that was in 2019. It was a second iteration, second startup called Cold Closet, mm-hmm. which basically I collect all the items. I use the styling skill, put them into a capsule collection of five items and it can be made up to like 20 outfits and you can rent it for five weeks at a time. Okay. I was like, this is kind of cool.
1: So you're taking different wardrobes from different people and curating them into one package.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. So it was kind of like a natural progress because people were already sending me stuff. So let's see if, would people actually rent the people clothes? Let's just see. So again, I built the MVP and I create like 24 collection. roll it out, just as a concept, just to see, roll the campaign out. And within, I think, three to four weeks, we had like 4,000 people sign up. Hmm. It was pretty insane. <laughs> people were ready. Yeah, sign me up. And then we've got over 1,000 items sent into the warehouse, the warehouse, which is like <laughs> my one bedroom apartment.
1: Warehouse sounds great
0: warehouse. Send it into our warehouse. <laughs> My partner was like, what is going on here?
1: <laughs> and you're like, shut up and drive the forklift.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't even have forklift, there's one bedroom. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just open the door. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, well, this is happening. People were actually interested, but then I found that Out of all these thousands items that were sent in, they were all coming in one size. So for me, I already kind of started to know that my first issue was going to be sizing because every single collection would only fit a very particular group, right? So I need a lot of inventory to be able to scale this model up. So I was kind of like, oh, a little bit unsure, but then I'm like, but that's the demand. Let's just roll it out kind of thing. It was growing really fast and at this time I was talking to investor, talking to lots of mentors just to see which way we could go. But then one of my mentor actually stepped, hey, let's just step back a little bit, take a breather and just go, you're doing really well, you're growing and you're pivoting. That's how startup works. But is this still answering your why? Yeah. Is it still why you wanted to do this in the first place? And I was like, good question. So... I kind of step back and think about why do I actually want to put my life through this? It's not an easy journey. You would know this. It's like, it's, we laugh a lot about it, but it's,
1: (laughs) it's to hide the
0: tears. (laughs) Yeah. It's a happy tears. (laughs) (laughs) So I then realized that like what I really want to do is I wanted to make an impact on a larger scale in the industry. I want to be able to walk away and go, I have actually have changed the industry in some shape or form. And that's when I realized that this secondary market is happening on its own. I can grow it to become a unicorn, billion-dollar company, but as long as the brands are not participating, it's not going to make any difference. Mm. So for me... That's when CoCo actually never went live. I scrape it, apologize to four thousand people, send back the thousand item, and start building renta. Wow,
1: that would have been a big call to scrap it when you had four thousand people there
0: so in the around two thousand and nineteen like October November that I had a mini breakdown. <laughs> I know. I had many since.
1: So. <laughs> it's the first breakdown that's the hardest.
0: Yeah, it's the hardest one because you were like, you didn't know what it was. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it was when I, I think the stress and anxiety come when you couldn't make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that was when it was like kind of like, are you going to call it? Or are you going to push through? Because either way, right, if I didn't call it, I keep pushing through. I think Coke would have been successful in some shape or form.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: It's a would become its own thing, right? And it would just be a different journey. So I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't regret it. I think we're on the right track. Yeah.
1: It's the calm before the storm. And unlike George Clooney in The Perfect Storm, spoiler alert, Shopify wants retailers to come out not just alive, but thriving because it's a big deal, especially here in Australia. Last year, Australian merchants ranked third globally in Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales volume. What an opportunity. So if you want to maximize your share of the peak sales this year, use this time before the storm to download and read Shopify's peak season playbook. They've got 10 experts, including me, to share their tips on how to maximize sales at this time. So put on your life jacket and get your hands on Shopify's free peak season playbook. Download it at shopify.com forward slash plus forward slash guides forward slash peak sales season 2023. Or just follow the links in the episode show notes from the device you are on. Land Ahoy. That 3 prong attack of rental, repair and resale, do your clients, do they typically take all three at once or do they start on one and then move into another area?
0: Um, a lot of bigger brands would like to own all three, but I think realistically... Every single model that we launch is going to need it on space to actually improve almost like you roll it out and you optimize and you make sure that it works for your brand and make sure that it works for your community. So to roll it out all three at once, it probably going to require quite a bit of resource from them in terms of communication, digital team. And not to say that we can't do it, but I think it's just a little bit harder. And for some brand, Rental makes sense, Mm -hmm. not so much resale. Well, actually, most of the brand that rental makes sense would also make sense in resale. But some of the brand makes so much sense in the resale space, but not so much rental. Yes. So you kind of see all the brands will need to pick and choose what works for them. And repair is 100% value add. It's literally if your customer purchased something from you and they can come back, on the website and actually order repair directly. It's just to make their life easier.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, some brands actually offer free repair. So it's a bit of a guarantee for 6 to 12 months.
1: Yeah, I buy my jeans from a retailer who offers the free repairs. And I don't think I've ever got the free repairs done. But for me, knowing that I could if I needed to, because the jeans just haven't broken. Like they're fine. They're great. But knowing that it's available as an option is a great marketing tactic as well, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like you're standing behind your product. We know our product so well that any issue that come with it, we want to know and let us help.
1: So of those three prongs, rental, repair and resale, which is your most popular?
0: We kick it off with rental. Okay. We kick it off in 2021 with just one platform, which was rental roll it out with six brands, and then it grew to about 20. And then just about July last year, that's when we roll out resales because okay. we kind of talk to a lot of brand. and I think resale is just a little bit easier for brand to sort of like, because it's kind of similar to e mm. Yeah, but it's just a second-hand item. So we have a lot of requests. We want a white-label solution for resale. And that's when we kind of like, oh, it's already in our pipeline. Let's bring it early. And the first brand that we launched was bridal brand, Karen Willis Homes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm unsure which way it was going to go. And then within the first 20 hours launch, we had over 100 listings gone up straight away. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah.
1: And does that generally work best with retailers who might have say, Facebook community groups of the buy, swap, sell, and then they just convert it into their own store online?
0: Yeah, it's just easier. You've already got like all the hard work's already done. Your consumer's already building the community. You've already got the secondary economy. Now you're basically just going to take back that ownership and also elevate the customer experience, make sure that they are doing it in a safe platform. And then you get to interact with them, you get to engage, you get to keep all the customer database. Because at the moment, you don't know who's purchasing your item secondhand. Mm -hmm. And it's in the environment that you can't control. So what it means is someone will be buying your $700 jacket and receive it in a really bad experience plastic bag. And they would never fully understand why you're jacket cost 700 because they weren't part of that experience right yeah. and I just feel like that's such a massive missed opportunity for brands to be able to just grab it and then learn about them even though they are your second-hand customer they're interacting with your brand because they love your brands already so why not bring them on that journey much sooner
1: yeah almost premium secondhand
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. Whether they're full price customer, discount customer, your rental, or they are pre-loved customer, they are all your customer. You might as well just keep them all in one place.
1: Yeah, and I suppose from a product perspective too, you can then keep an eye on quality in terms of bringing items out of circulation that aren't, that aren't up to the quality that you expect.
0: Mm. Yeah, you have a full control. So, and the best part about it is, most brand doing really well would have sold out stock that was sold out really quickly. And then your next step would be like, oh, do we reorder? And then it would take another four weeks for it to be back again. But then there's no guarantee that that was sold out again. And most of those sold out items, I guarantee you 50%. If you put a call out to your customer and go, have you wanted, do you want to bring it back? Then you literally can just like get those 50% of those sold out items to relist it back and sell it again.
1: Fantastic.
0: Without actually having to produce anything new, without taking any new resource, it can just make more return for you.
1: Yes. And then the rental side of it, how do businesses normally set that up from a logistics perspective? Do they have a separate range that they kind of siphon off and then have that available for rental?
0: It can be. Sometimes brands will look at a different colorway just to make it a little bit more exciting. Because one thing about rental is well, people can experiment a little bit more because it's a lower commitment. When you purchase something, you often go for a safer choice because you're like, I want to be able to wear it again and again and again. But yeah, with rental, you're like, now I'm going to wear it once. I want to look amazing. I'm going to be out there. So, you know, sometimes it's allows brands to actually be a bit more experimental with their design. But most of the brands that we work with actually just roll out what they have and essentially just go, we're just going to give our customer an option. They can either buy brand new or they can just have it for short term rental, whichever one. And I think Uh because we are quite early in the market, we're like 18 months old kind of thing. A lot of brands are still learning as well of what works, what doesn't and even though we know that the economy is growing. So I think every single brand is still kind of finding their own way of what's work and what doesn't. And we are learning that along the way as well.
1: And what kind of processes do you find your retailers have to put in place for quality assurance for rental? Because I assume that would be a whole new process that many aren't ready for. (laughs)
0: Well, we handle all the logistics behind the scene. Okay. So they don't actually have to do anything. All they do is basically give us like a light sheet of what you want to rent out. And we activate the rental button onto those products. And then they move a section of the rental collection into our warehouse. And then once we get the order... Then we pick, pack and ship and it come back to our warehouse. We manage the dry clean and then send it back out again. So brands is just completely hands off.
1: Wow, I didn't realize that. I thought it was more the front end that you were supplying, but you are supplying the end-to-end.
0: The end-to-end, yeah, absolutely, including the buyback. If you want to buy back for resale, we can manage all of that buyback, taking a photo, relisting it, same as repair. Your customer order it online from your site, but all of the repair requests and the actual operation of repairing come through to our
1: team. Wow. And where are your team based?
0: Alexandria.
1: Okay. Great. So taking orders from all over Australia?
0: Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean at some point, look, to lower the carbon footprint even further, we'll probably wanted to have a hub in different city. But at this point it just makes more sense to just have one where we can actually fully control the quality.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, that makes it a lot easier for retailers. I was trying to think of all the logistics behind both rental and repair and resale, but I didn't realize that you were taking care of that as well. Yeah. The thing that stood out for me is obviously in the circular economy, we've got a lot of players there at the moment, rent the runway, glam corner, all doing fantastic work. Is your big differentiator, obviously, that you're supplying those services in the back end, but the retailers can take control and that it's integrated in their existing. E-commerce offering.
0: Yeah. And when I started building rental, I think it was coming from the point of I don't want to be another marketplace. I don't want to be a B2C business because I've experimented the B2C market and I know that the consumers are ready. Yeah. I know that the demands are there. But what I realize is this economy, the secondary market, is growing exponentially, but it's growing very separately from the industry itself. So unless there's a bridge that builds that gap and brand can participate directly, I don't believe it would ever truly become a real sustainable solution because it doesn't influence brand behavior. It's kind of growing on its own, doing its own thing, and then brands is going to continue doing its own thing producing at the rate that they are doing. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that brand can achieve that commercial growth with less product, get maximized, like maximum return on every single garment that you can possibly get, whether through first time selling, second time, third time, fourth time. And I think that's probably the key important part before I started building something. Almost like the objective is slightly different.
1: mm. When you are talking to brands like Oraton for the first time, what are some of the commercial outcomes that you can talk to that gets them excited?
0: So, yeah, and I often tell people that, look, the reason why we close Oraton is not because I'm charming. I mean...
1: You are.
0: I am charming, but not just because of that. <laughs> you have to be charming. Yeah. It's delusional and charming at the same time. I love it. So what we did before we went and pitched to them was, because when we first rolled it out, we didn't really know either that how many times can we rent a product out, what what type of fabric is good for rental, or all of this thing, was just, it's just an unknown to us. So we went and got two items. There's one dress, size 8 and size 12. It was sold out on Oraton website, December 21, and we were able to get it from a Facebook marketplace. <laughs> it's already a secondary market, right? So someone wore it once and sold it back to us full price because it's sold out. So it's literally $550. Yeah. We paid full price for two of them. And then we rented out, I think for about eight months, we were able to rent it out like 24 times each. It's something like ridiculous that we were like, oh my God. And it was this like beautiful, like bright pink silk dress that I was like, this can only be dry clean like 10 times max. Yeah, But it wasn't. It was amazing. It was, you know, and that's just to go to show that when you have good quality item and you have a team that can look after it well, it will last a long time. Yeah. So we rented out 24 times and then we resell it at 50% of the price. And then I pushed the care study even further. So I basically say, you know what? It's been about a month. Let's contact the person that bought it. And then basically say, hey, do you want to sell it back to us? And they did. And then we resold it again. <laughs> so all up, I think we resold that exact same dress, about like four time. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And look, not every single item mm. is going to turn out like that. And we know that. But it's just so unknown to us because... Don't forget that like all of this rental and all these things, this is before we even partnered with them, right? Mm. So it was just our own community, small database. Rental was like live in the market in less than six months. So it was really small target. And then we were kind of like, well, if it was actually happening on the brand level, like this could be amplified so much more. Yep. So we were able to go to them and be like, hey, we've done this. (laughs) Do you want to try? <laughs> uh, and I think, yeah, the Jenny Chao, the CEO of Oraton, she's just one of those that like super forward thinking, super open-minded, and she's like, that's really interesting that people are opening, they actually like open up to this idea of accessibility yeah. rather than ownership.
1: Has she shared or are you able to share percentage of rental versus buy for customers now
0: oh i don't have that information not that i don't want to share (laughs) (laughs) i mean look to be honest it's like it's three months all right i think we're probably going to be like a fraction of what they're doing but what we can share is within the first three months 60 percent of the rental customer is actually new to the brand wow so the brand has never had interaction with this customer before. They're not in the database, which is incredible, right? That mean it's just a different type of customer. So 30% is the customer that have only purchased discount or on sales. So now you're actually getting more money out of them through mm-hmm. rental. And the 10% that was buying full price, they were only renting sold-out items because they can't purchase anymore. Technically, zero cannibalization.
1: Yeah. Is that something you come up against often when you're talking to brands around, will this cannibalize our overall sales if we start offering rental?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's the thing, right? Every single brand has KPI they need to achieve, the level of growth. And even though they do know that that is the secondary market and secondary economy that's happening, they're not sure how... Or will it affect the current growth? And, and, and it's bad for them to be mindful about it. But the fact that we were able to actually roll things out and be able to prove that actually it doesn't affect it. It's actually adding to your growth. It's just the same case as well. I was talking to, um, assembly label mm-hmm. founder Lee. They one about investor as well. So when they first roll out rewound program, exact the same result. Majority of the hand. Purchaser, like the buyer, they were all new to the brand.
1: Right. That's amazing. So, is it an aspirational customer?
0: Yes. It's those customers that can never really afford the price point. And
1: at this point in their life, because I could assume that they get a taste. And then as their incomes grow up, as they get older, then they can transition into a, a loyal customer.
0: Absolutely. And also, and people ask me a lot about the age range, like the age group of like the rental and resale customer. And I often say that I think it's less about the age group. Mm -hmm. It's probably more about the behavior of a person. I look incredibly young, but I am in my 40. Oh,
1: (laughs) incredibly young.
0: (laughs) I'm also super immature. (laughs) (laughs) And someone, me and another person who's in their 40, that's not running a startup, will have completely different behavior. I mean, I'm a startup founder. I can never afford anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, and how do you look young as a startup founder? That doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> we just don't eat. <laughs> we just drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think like when I have to explain to people that when I said, well, I am in my 40, but I don't have the same capability of someone who's been a CEO over the past 10 years or. We just have a different journey. Yep. So I think these days, is actually less about the age, but I think probably more about the lifestyle and what you believe in. A lot of people will actually just make that conscious choice of, well, I don't want to buy anymore because I have kids and I'm now feeling there's a lot of pressure on the environment and a lot of things that, you know, I have to set example for my kids. And I think that's influence behavior.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. What's the um, commercial model for you? Is it by item? Is it by contract? Is it, yeah, how do you work?
0: It's all free. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I never have <laughs> any money. <laughs> the business model can't is eat,
1: Can't buy clothes. <laughs> yeah. Free. yeah.
0: But I'm saving the world. I think that's okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah, my yeah. investor is listening and is having a heart attack right now. <laughs> Just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, no, so we're like a SaaS product. So we actually, yeah, you know, it's just like any enterprise sales, we have customization onboarding fee, which has subscription fee to use our service. And then we take commission fee for every transaction.
1: Gotcha. That makes sense. And from a tech perspective, integrating into websites, is that custom? Is it within app stores like Shopify?
0: We'd love to be in the App Store and Shopify at some point. That is definitely in our pipeline, just not right now at the moment because I'm about to kill my CTO, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's, like, he's not listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's working. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely we wanted to make it as easy for people to onboard themselves and that's mean we can lower the cost of onboarding because you know of all this opening up more door for like a different tier of brand. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, the way that it works is we have a building block of how do we get from A to B on all of the software. And then um, for each brand, they can pay customization of like, what part do you want to customize and what part do you want to... If you just want a simple integration, just changing the fun and the color to match your branding then that's like a basic startup like it's a basic just a starting price
1: yeah gotcha yeah what do the best brands who are doing rental or resale from an operational perspective what do they get right
0: um i think look at it beyond just commercial return for the moment I think it's about like really pushing it out and making sure that you talk about it as part of your brand story. Karen Willis Home, for example, the bridal brand. I mean, the resale market for wedding dress, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. It's such a good quality, amazing that people spend weeks and weeks and weeks making this dress to only be used once. That just doesn't make sense. So for them... Having like this ecosystem within their own brand, it's just like encouraging your customer to think beyond just buying it the first time and what else do you want to do with it. And also it's really successful for them because like we had a quick chat and then turned out that they're also using the platform as a conversion tool. So basically, you get a bride that things will go a bit over budget, you know, with all the thing that add extra is a couple of grand extra and they hesitate because it's expensive, right? Wedding's expensive. expensive. Yeah. But then as soon as the brand mentioned that, but after this, you actually can just resell it back on our website, then it's 100% conversion. Like literally people just put deposit down. So I guess if you, the question was like, what do they do that they get it right? It's like they optimize it and they use it. Just exactly how you optimize your e-com platform.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, we've talked a lot about fashion, especially premium fashion at the moment. Do you have ambitions to go beyond fashion?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the software can go across to a a different vertical. We have a lot of people inquiring about baby, baby's industry, because it kind of makes sense. Some of the really expensive item. I mean, I don't have kids, so I don't really know what they need, but I kind of...
1: <laughs> but, Let's do some research, you'll be right.
0: I know. So <laughs> apparently those like snooze things, yeah. that are really expensive, but they can only use it for maybe three to six months or something. Yeah. And then they have to move on. So yeah, babies make sense. And I think what I really want it to be is it's a software that if you own a product business, have a thing. whether that's, it makes sense for you to have a secondary market. Mm. I love to move into watches. I mean, we get asked so much. And I know, I think we might even be a bit behind some of the brand like Rolex is already launching their own secondary market, I think.
1: Ah.
0: Which is like, why wouldn't you? You know it's happening.
1: Especially if you can certify them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have the full control, right? And then you know who purchases it the second time and then you can target them. Eventually, they'll become your first-time buyer.
1: You might be able to do repair or even resale on like Stanley cups. (laughs) Croc shoes, all these things that are hard to come across.
0: I would love to. I would love to. If the brand's interested, let's have a chat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who's on your radar? Who would you love to have on the Renter platform?
0: in Australia market and i mean our like next immediate go would probably like i love to land Simmerman. Mm. I think that just it just makes sense for the brand and i think it will benefit the brand in so many ways and also i think it's just about them encouraging customer to participate in the economy as well. Mm. One of the stuff that i was quite proud of was 50% of our end user which is the one that Buy second hand or rent it have never participated in the economy before, not because they don't believe in it, but they just feel like they just don't trust the current system, which is marketplaces and as soon as the brands open up that door for them, they feel like they have that permission to go, actually, I can rent it, I can trade it. it doesn't feel like oh, I'm doing something wrong by the brand that I love. Yes. So, yeah, the more brands can support it. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I remember seeing my wife one night, and this is probably, goodness, five years ago now, packing up dresses and, you know, getting them all ready and there was Spell on the Gypsy. And, you know, they've got a huge Facebook community of the buy, swap, sell because they're limited release patterns. They sell out straight away, made to be long-lasting, premium price point. And I said, what are you doing? She's like, oh, well, I'm just part of this group and I've sold these and we've got to send them away. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. She's like, yeah, but I hate this part of the process. I hate the actual transaction, the c to c because I don't know the other person and I don't always trust that the post will get there and then they'll blame me and that I'll be liable even though I've got nothing to do with it. So to have a middle person there who can verify it and manage that Mm. is pretty valuable for trust.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've been talking to Spell for quite some time as well. So if they are listening, (laughs) let's do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Now, you mentioned that it's an incredible journey coming from the stylist background to really taking on that startup mentality. Like to me, you strike me as someone who has an idea but is willing to move and shape it as you go and not kind of stick steadfast. There's a lot of founders or people with ideas who go, this is the idea and no one's moving it. You you seem to have been pretty flexible to be able to follow your why but also where the customer's going. Yeah. What kind of help have you had along the way? You talked about mentors. What has been most valuable for you, you know, through that startup journey to help you make those decisions and obviously some tough times in there? What's helped you the most?
0: I think... Well, one of the very, very first advice that I got from who's like not even really mentor, mentor per se, but like someone who has experience, and because I get excited, I have ideas, and like you're entrepreneurial, like so you just like you have idea and you just go, oh, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And the first advice that's really like stuck to me was focus, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense because if you don't see it true, you just don't know. What next? Yep. So with mentor, I think you really need to know yourself of what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I think it's okay to not know straight away, but then you start surrounding yourself with people that you know that when you need support in particular area, you can go to them. You're always, always going to need emotional support. It's so hard. This journey is insane people ask me to go and talk and one of the questions that they often ask is like, oh, if you talk about female founder and also like if you want to encourage someone to like wanted to start their own thing, what would you say? And I often say, don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the most encouraging words we've heard today.
0: Yeah, live your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Go get a paycheck. <laughs> enjoy your weekends.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, but then I also just, look, I was joking, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to sugarcoat it to someone that is all fun. It isn't. But the advice that I would give would probably be, if you want to do something, jump in, do it mm. as soon as you possibly can because you'll learn really quickly, whether it's for you or not. Yeah. And then when you learn that, then move And then it just makes it easier because some people will just be like, oh, one day I'll do it, one day I'll do it. And you'll never really understand whether can you actually do it or do you even want to actually do it. It's just not always fun. So, yeah, I have incredible advisors, And, I mean, look, I can't literally disregard my partner either. Like the emotional toll on the relationship is Mm. insane. Like we're not married yet and people often joke that he's divorced me like three times a week.
1: (laughs) Good thing you've got a rental wedding dress because you can just take it back.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, well, wedding's not happening anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being so vulnerable and honest about your journey. I think a lot of people will get a lot of support from that and see it as a positive rather than a negative for their journey. One of the things that I really loved when I was researching was your work with the Feel Good Project. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yes, yes. Feel Good is it's just making people feel good. <laughs> yeah, on top of everything we just talk about. Yeah. I'm also just recently become the CEO of a foundation called Feel Good Project, and the reason why I took it on was because. You know how I talk about how I have really close personal relationship with clothing and it stem from when I was growing up in Thailand, I didn't fit the beauty mold of what the beauty standard should look like in Thailand. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly being told I'm not a good looking person. I need a plastic surgery. And these are the things that in Thailand you can't be offended because they want you to look your best whatever your best that is and I think it can do a lot of damage to someone self-esteem right I somehow have insane self-confidence that those things didn't really I mean it did but what I wanted to do is like instead of going get plastic surgery I want to change the conversation so I start dressing really well start dressing really loud take care of myself really well and the conversation changed. People start talking about my clothes rather than my face and my skin colour and all of this thing. So for me to have the privilege to be able to groom myself well, have access to incredible clothes for me to be able to express myself every day differently was so important to me growing up because I'm constantly being told that I'm not good enough. So then when I moved to Sydney, I was looking for a hairdresser and my friend recommended a studio gallery in Chippendale. and they're like, oh, Alex and Jack, the two founder was like awesome people. And then I was like, yeah, cool. As long as they cut my hair. Um, <laughs> so I sat down in the chair, met Alex for the first time and he is a character. Yeah. He's like amazing. Then he was cutting my hand. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then he told me about the project that he was building, which is the Feel Good Project. And I was like, oh, my God, how can I help? I want to be part of it. And this was back in 2019. And then he talks about how he wants to create this space. Alex is also a celebrity hairdresser.
1: Yeah.
0: So when he goes to, like, film shoots and all of that, he will see that the trailer... And people feel really good about themselves, getting a hair done, makeup done, all this celebrity. And it's just a good vibe. And he wants to create that environment for people that don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. So he's got this trailer that was donated through Judith. can't remember her last name. Wait, it will come to me. Nelson. Okay. The Nelson Foundation. She's the founder of White Rabbit Gallery. Right. Yep. So... She's also go to the same salon. I go to the same salon as celebrity, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he's got that there and I'm like, okay, how can I help you? And at the time in 2019, I was like, I can't commit full-time. I've got a full-time job. I'm running a startup. So I built that digital journey. So I built a website, all of this thing that I know how to. So I built it for them and we were rolling it out and then COVID hit. And then once the COVID's kind of eased off, just in the past 18 months, Alex has been taking care of people. You know, we partner with charity like Too Good, Orange Sky, and, um, Addy Road, all of these charities partner that send through their clients to the studio after hour. And then we look after them. And then about August last year, I said to Alex, we need to amplify our impact because I can see the minute that people get taken care of, they changed yeah. it was so incredible i don 't even know how to describe it to someone like I want people to actually be able to participate and actually see it. Someone walk into the studio and wouldn't even have eye contact with you because of the lives that they've been through and then, as soon as they sat down in the chair, no one has ever handled or touched their hair before, so the guard was like up and then through the whole process, there was laughing, there was like crying then. By the time they walk out, they're just like a completely new person. And I just feel like everyone deserves to have that because like, we talk about how like, I feel good today. My hair looked good. (laughs) But then we all have access to it. You can just go get a haircut whenever. It was never a hard thing for you, right? Yeah. So in August, we sat down and I said, we need to amplify our impact. What is this going to take for the mobile salon to be on the road? And he's like, well, we need to do the fit out. It needs to be completed, you know, with all the salon stuff. Clearly, I'm not a hairdresser. (laughs) I'm like,
1: all the (laughs) salon stuff. Just the three scissors and stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to jump in and let's fundraise and literally get this on the road by December. And he's like, Oh, by December. It was really ambitious. And we did it. We did our first activation in December. Oraton became one of our sponsors as well.
1: So good.
0: Yeah. So for me, we're now actually at, we have scheduled 63 activations aiming to impact over 1,000 people this year.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah. And our crowdfunding campaign is live at the moment. If anyone want to go and donate and like and share.
1: (laughs) Where can you get it? Where can you donate?
0: If you go on to feelgoodproject.org, you can donate through there. Or if you go to feelgoodproject social media, Instagram, it's right there as well. So, yeah.
1: I love the point there because it's the same as what Thread Together do. And Anthony always there always talks about sharing the dignity and around how a new wardrobe can actually change a person's life in their outlook and the way that they approach people so it can have a massive impact.
0: Absolutely. And Anthony is a really good friend of mine as well. So we actually will be taking both van out to the community together. Oh, so, yeah, it would be pretty amazing to actually deliver that, like, makeover, like the makeover scene that you've seen in all rom-coms. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> as long as it's not the um, bridal scene from Bridesmaids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: all right. What is next for yourself and the renter team?
0: Oh, this year is pretty insane. We've got incredible pipeline. So it's been a long, hard work for us, but we finally have all this top brand in our pipeline. So this year is launching and launching, launching. So you're starting to see all of the brand that you love and you would know to be able to like offering all of this. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether how the consumer Will participate. Like hopefully, it's more and yeah. But for us, it's literally having a strong foothold in Australia, and hopefully, in the next twenty four months, we'll be able to go global. We'll take our Australia brand and go global.
1: Brilliant! All right. So, if we've got retailers listening to this, especially you Zimmerman, and especially you Spell and the Gypsy, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
0: Um, you can reach out to me through my email. So. Shania at getrenter.com or Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Bumble, Tinder, <laughs> <laughs> anything.
1: Anything, whatever gets the attention.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah, literally. if you go on our website, you know how to get in touch with me. You can literally book a phone call, a meeting. And what I'm offering at the moment is essentially. I don't even need you to know, like, to use our product yet, but I want you to have your circular strategy. So what I'll do is I'll sit with you for half an hour and I'll help you build out how you're going to move into the secondary market. And if you wanted to go use other solution or do it yourself in-house, whatever you want to do, that's totally fine. But if you wanted to use our solution, then we're there for you as well.
1: It's an amazing offer. Yeah.
0: Just have the strategy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Shania, thank you so much for joining us on Add to Loved our conversation and love what you're building with Renta.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Really loved that conversation with Shania. I was expecting to talk a lot about circular economy and sustainability, but I didn't think it would be so raw and vulnerable about the founder's journey. And I think anyone who is starting their own business will get so much out of Shania's experience and vulnerability all right three lessons from this chat number one you can take control of resale as we heard from shania she thought premium fashion dresses could be worn maybe 10 times before it starts looking worn but in fact she got up to 24 uses of a product if you are a premium brand there is a very good chance that your customers are already reselling or renting your products you can take control of this experience and deliver your brand experience not just the first time buyers to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time buyers so that that brand lives on. Number two, fake it till you make it. If you are in the services or tech business and looking to get initial clients under the belt, you could use what Shanya did to lure in Oraton. Shanya set up her own store selling used Oraton products and Oraton saw how that worked and came on board. Nothing like seeing a working model. And number three, follow your heart but trust your gut. Shania spoke about her decision to change direction away from her startup tumness in favor of Renta. And this is after she had already pivoted to Tumnus. Obviously, these aren't easy decisions, especially when you've got a 4,000 strong customer base, but you've really got to keep evolving rather than staying stuck on one idea until it works. Thanks for joining us today on Add to Cart. To listen to all our e-commerce conversations, now in the hundreds, you can head on over to addtocart.com.au. There, you can also join up to our free private Slack community to share e-commerce ideas, tips, and questions with other listeners. You can also subscribe to the Add to Cart weekly newsletter and browse some of the video highlights from our chats. There is a lot there. That's addtocart.com.au. And if I can ask you one thing before you go, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with a friend or a colleague who could benefit or leave us a review. It really makes a difference. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.